and probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when when well, we talk about traditional rights, um, I didn't know there was going to be questions at this interview. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. It ain't, but it's kind of funny. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Hey, here I am. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, it's the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, also in California in Red Bluff and Redding on KFOI and Round Mountains KKRN. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, Eugene's KEPW, Lanchester, Pennsylvania's W News, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP, Rochester, New York's WRFZ. Down in New Orleans, on WHIV, out in Gallup, New Mexico, on KNIZ. Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle's KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM950, KTNF, amongst other fine terrestrial affiliates. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices channel. Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Verdant Square Radio, Detour Talk, and all of your favorite, po- well, most of your favorite podcast sites, Blanketing Planet Earth. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. We have got lots to get caught up with today. And uh, one or two Trump accountability stories, uh, exclusives from a a few uh, corporate media outlets that are worth noting, I think, today. But first, a bunch of other stuff I want to plow through here since we have been, well, let's start with this. Because we have been laughing at the clods and the clowns over at Fox News and down in Florida this week. Hi, Ron DeSantis. (laughs) Oh, hi, Desi Doyen. Also, hi. hi. Yes, hi. I'm here too. Uh, you know, blaming uh, these clods, blaming last week's failures at some deregulated banks as being due to the banks being too woke. Whatever the hell that you know, whatever the hell they think that means. And despite Silicon Valley banks having an almost entirely white male board of directors, but yeah, they're just uh, too woke or whatever. And by the way, uh, that uh, SVB also has a record of zero bad loans to so-called woke groups, whatever that means. So, you know, whatever they're talking, whatever they're pretending all of this means at Fox News, uh, it's all stuff and nonsense, as we have made clear. But here is a clip that I realize you may have already seen or heard over the past 24 hours or so, but since it is just that good. And just that funny, I think, and just that on point about this entire woke nonsense scam by the right. Well, maybe it's a little something to sort of help kick things off with a smile today, Desi Doyen. (laughs) Indeed, it is funny. (laughs) Bethany Mandel, who I had never heard of. Uh, She's apparently a right-wing author. She has published a series of children's books about various right-wing icons called Heroes of Liberty. 
featuring luminaries such as Justice Amy Coney Barrett, you know, a hero of liberty, Ronald Reagan, John Wayne, Margaret Thatcher is apparently uh, the next book. Walter Eininkel over at Daily Coast notes that the trick here <clears throat> is that Mandel uses the excuse of these being children's books to skip past any uncomfortable facts about things like slavery and such, while offering a uh, offering up a make-believe American history that is easier to digest for snowflake right-wing parents. Most recently, he notes uh, she is making the rounds promoting a book that she wrote with Carol Markowitz titled Stolen Youth, How Radicals Are Erasing Innocence. <laughs> Don't laugh. It sounds very, very bad, Desi Doyen, that these it's radicals are, Be are very erasing afraid. innocence. According to Einickel, it is exactly as terrible as it sounds. But Mandel made herself more famous than ever this week, uh, likely on the right and certainly on the left, as she went on the Hill's rising program to promote her silly new book and kept referring to the problem of wokeness over and over again, going on about how the majority of Americans don't consider themselves woke, even though, as we noted on broadcast, I think earlier in the week, that a new USA Today Ipsos poll finds quite the opposite. In any event, uh, one one point uh, here, co-host Brianna Joy Gray interrupts to ask Mandel to define what she actually means by the term woke. And it didn't go well, but it was hilarious. And Americans consider themselves very liberal and probably fewer of them consider themselves to be woke. And so, you know, when, when what, we what talk about traditional... What does that mean to you? Right? Would you mind defining woke? Because it's come up a couple of times and I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, I mean, woke is sort of the idea that. Um, yes. What? Yes. Yes. Go ahead. I. What? This is going to be one of those moments that goes viral. I mean, Correct. woke is something that's very hard to define, and we've spent an entire chapter defining it. Mm -hmm. It is sort of the understanding that we need to re -to totally reimagine and re. re redo society in order to create hierarchies of oppression um uh-huh sorry i it's it's hard to explain in a 15 second soundbite well, yeah take look your it, time yes please <laughs> take your time you take all the time that you want go on with that uh we need to create hierarchies of oppression or something like that yeah that's just she's just fishing for stuff to say at that point oh and she was right on the money when she said oh this is one of those moments that's gonna go viral oh yeah yes it is dear she wrote a whole chapter on it i mean come on now of course the twitters have all blown up in response to that clip over the past 24 hours or so i'll link to some of the most uh, fun reactions when I post the show tonight at bradblog.com, <laughs> but just one or two of note to mention quickly here. Uh, Emma Vieglin, the co-host on our friend Sam Cedars, Majority Report, rings in with the helpful reminder that one can just, quote, substitute wokeness for blackness, and you'll pretty much get the gist of what these people mean when they say they are anti-woke. I think she's on the money there. Oh, yes. But really, it is just a trick that Republicans have been using for years uh, of adopting anything that folks on the non-right seem to support. It used to be, for example, remember, political correctness. 
And then you take that and you, you, you know, you, you, you use it as a slur to turn it into a pejorative against folks on the not right. And that works. Until it doesn't, until, you know, they start applying it to everything like white conservative bankers whose banks failed because they made stupid, risky bets after they lobbied to deregulate their banks so that they could make these stupid, risky bets with depositors money rather than, you know, uh, you know, call out Congress and Donald Trump for having done that. Let's just pretend it's because of wokeness and turn it into a pretend culture war issue instead, and then nobody has to take any responsibility for anything. because yes. it's, it's so easy uh, to deflect and distract. Yep. If you can use that instead, look over there mm -hmm. instead of, hey, look at what we did to create this disaster. Yeah, right, until at least the next avoidable train derailment or bank failure due to deregulation supported by Republicans comes along, then you'll have to come up with something else. But for the record, defining uh, woke is fairly simple. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines it as, quote, aware of and actively attentive to important societal facts and issues, especially issues of racial and social justice. Well, there, that wasn't that difficult. Dictionary.com calls it, quote, being conscious of racial discrimination in society and other forms of oppression and injustice. Again, not that difficult. Anyway, after Mandel got off air and had a long time to uh, think about this and to invent her own definition of woke and in, in hopes of, you know, trying to save face, uh, she took to Twitter to say, quote, as for wokeness, here's an actual definition, which she then followed with her own completely made up definition, quote, a radical belief system suggesting that our institutions are built around discrimination and claiming that all disparity is a result of that discrimination. It seeks a radical redefinition. Wow, talk about redefinition. It <laughs> seeks a radical redefinition of society in which equality of group results is the endpoint enforced by an angry mob. Wow. Uh, not sure, but I think she may have been better off sticking with her inability to answer the question in the first place on the show. For the record, I suspect that if she was asked to uh, define critical race theory, or as Fox and the right like to call it, CRT, her definition of that would have likely been completely identical to what she just described as wokeness. So anything that, you know, has to do with, I guess, blackness, let's just all describe it that way. It's radical, angry mob, etc., etc. Our friend uh, David, the great David Roberts, a climate and energy journalist who writes the Volts newsletter, uh, he's been long highlighting the way the right hide all sorts of insidious things behind their use of code phrases. Uh, he cites Mandel's definition there of wokeness and says, the funny thing is when the dopes do try to define woke, it's inevitably a mix of obviously true uh, things, structural discrimination does persist in America and a bunch of emotional trigger words thrown in like radical and angry mob to uh, make believe those obvious truths seem somehow sinister. 
He adds that the best was Ron DeSantis's lawyer in court defining woke as, quote, the belief there are systemic injustices in American society and the need to address them. I bet he was kicking himself afterward, notes uh, Roberts, for forgetting to throw in things like radical and angry <laughs> mob into the definition. And finally on this, because y you know how the right used to pretend that they were all about personal responsibility. Remember that? That was darling. Not so much anymore, and, and certainly not in Mandel's case, apparently, because after all of this, facing all of this shame and public opprobrium for a you know, a complete day. She woke up the next day and it seems that she found a way to blame someone else for her own failure to be able to define the simple word that she apparently wrote an entire book chapter about. Just before we went on air, Mandel claimed on Twitter, Brianna Joy Gray was on a hot mic. I heard her demeaning parenting in general in colorful and nasty terms stating parents only have kids in order to perpetuate their own narcissism. Robbie, who's the right wing co-host, responded, quote, there are some good ones and some bad ones. As a mom of six, Mandel continued in her tweet thread, including a newborn, this threw me off just a bit. Not an excuse. Yes, it is an excuse. Just a reality. I'm human, she said. Well, <clears throat> you keep digging, dear, um, though don't complain. I suspect that this has actually helped her sell more books. Oh, probably. Her dumb wingnut, wingnut children's books than anything she has ever done in her life. She's finally in, you know, enjoying the unmistakable right-wing phenomenon of failing up, <laughs> as they do. Indeed. And I think one thing, though, that she has done that has been a great service from this yes. little clip has been that she has demonstrated that, hey, if you've got like a crazy right-wing uncle or somebody, you know, give them an opportunity to define woke. And you'll find, I suspect, that they'll be very uncomfortable admitting that, gosh, racism is really bad. And it is kind of systemic, and they'll have to lie and stumble and to get out of saying Get to the radical to and the angry mob part. Yeah, and I also want to associate myself with Adam Serwer of The Atlantic. He says, quote, Sometimes when people say woke, they mean liberals being self-righteous and vicious about trivial things. Sometimes they mean integration or civil rights laws or black people on television. Mm -hmm. And it's convenient not to have to explain what they actually mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So using a code word always helps. Anyway, uh, I, I'm somewhat sorry to have spent so much time on that, but I did find it hilarious. <laughs> uh, it also does set up things kind of nicely for uh, the next uh, story or two here in which Republicans say one thing for public consumption while then, you know, doing the exact opposite. They oppose, quote, wokeness, or they pretend to, while they fight for, quote, freedom or, yes, pretend to to that end we'll start here uh, when the u.s supreme court reversed federal abortion rights last june justice sam alito's majority opinion stressed that quote it is time to heed the constitution and return the issue of abortion to the people's elected representatives Justice Brett Kavanaugh, he went even further, separately emphasizing that the controversy would now be one for state officials and that judges would no longer have to undertake the, quote, difficult moral and policy questions related to when a woman is allowed to end a pregnancy. 
Yeah, well, it does not seem to be working out that way, does it, Brett and Sammy? As Supreme Court analyst Joan Biskupic observes at CNN today, the drama Wednesday in a Texas courtroom over medication abortions demonstrates that judges, yes, in this case, even federal judges, remain at the center of access to abortion in America and reinforces the possibility that another battle over reproductive rights could soon land at the high court. What? Brett and Sammy were wrong when they justified their corrupt, their far-right political activist legislating from the bench claim that it was all just, you know, meant to restore decisions on these things to the people, to their elected representatives in the states. You know, it's one thing when a a right-wing children's book author and and Fox News when they are proven to be liars hiding their political activism behind some phony pretend made up culture war issues. It's another thing when it's done by the U.S. Supreme Court in order to overturn half a century of protected, settled constitutional freedoms for completely bogus, made-up reasons. Biskupic writes, uh, whether Kavanaugh was trying to downplay the consequences of the startling June decision last year or ignoring the persistence of anti-abortion foes, he and fellow conservatives who secured the ruling failed to acknowledge the kind of dispute that is now before U.S. Federal District Court Judge Matthew Kaczmarek in Texas. A single federal judge, not a duly elected state legislature, legislature, is positioned to shut down access to a safe and effective abortion drug that has been in use for decades and will thwart women seeking to end pregnancies even in states where the procedure is still legal. Such an order could sweep nationwide rather than be limited to one state, Biskupic notes. But of course, Alito was, you know, he was just heeding the Constitution by returning the issue of abortion to the people's elective representatives. Right? Uh, This new fraught chapter, she writes, reveals how America's abortion wars have only intensified since that June 2022 decision in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization. Oral arguments on Wednesday offered a partial look into this right-wing judge uh, Kaczmarek's thinking, but during Wednesday's four-hour hearing in an Amarillo courtroom, Kaczmarek signaled an openness to the challenger's efforts to undo the FDA's approval of abortion drugs. It would be, as the challenger's uh, attorney admitted during the hearing, the first time that any court has overturned Approval of a drug that has been long approved as safe and effective by the FDA. But hey, why not leave it to one federal judge? Uh, (laughs) Anything, I guess, but the people's elected representatives. A uh, 2019 appointee of former President Donald Trump, Judge Kaczmarek, before he was forced onto the bench with a lifetime appointment by Republicans, previously served as a deputy general counsel at the First Liberty Institute, a right-wing Christian legal advocacy group, which, uh, well, just don't ask them on live TV to define the word liberty. (laughs) 
Kaczmarek has been described by constitutional law and Supreme Court expert Ian Milheiser as arguably the worst judge in the United States. Ian writes, Matthew Kaczmarek's record reads like he's the villain in a parable about a puritanical witch hunter. A former lawyer at a Christian right law firm, Kaczmarek has claimed that being transgender is a, quote, mental disorder, that all gay people are, quote, disordered. He's ra uh, railed against a sexual revolution that began in the 60s and 70s, which supposedly claims, quote, that marriage, sexuality, gender identity, and even the unborn child must yield to the erotic desires of liberated adults, unquote. That's the guy who's making this decision about this drug. Kazmarek was the first federal judge to endorse an attack on the right to contraception after the Supreme Court's decision eliminating the constitutional right to an abortion last June. He attempted to neutralize the federal ban on LGBTQ discrimination by health providers. Got to get rid of that. And, of course, he is now widely expected to ban the drug mifepristone, which is used in more than half of all abortions across the nation. In a lawsuit brought by the Alliance Defending Freedom, don't ask them to define what freedom means, a far-right evangelical group. Uh, the case began last November when a group of anti-abortion organizations and physicians filed their challenge specifically on purpose in Kazmarek's district because, as it turns out, if you file a case in North Texas, in Amarillo, uh, Kazmarek is apparently the only federal judge in the district. So he will be assigned to any such cases. Yes, the right has now figured out how to gerrymander the federal court system as well. The challengers asked that uh, the judge uh, take the unprecedented step of ordering the FDA to withdraw approval for mifepristone, the first of two drugs that are used for safe, medical, non-surgical abortions, a drug that was approved, by the way, more than 20 years ago by the FDA in the year 2000 and has been safely used ever since. In fact, using mifepristone is safer than using Tylenol. It is safer than using Viagra. It is safer than actually having a baby. And it is definitely safer than using uh, only the other drug of that uh, uh, two drug prescription that is used, misoprostol, uh, for medical uh, abortions. Using only misoprostol, which will still be legal to terminate a pregnancy, well, that has a rate of about 60 to 85 percent effectiveness. Um, you know, without causing complications. But if you add mifepristone, well, the rate of effectiveness uh, without complications goes up to 99.6%. Complications occur in just 0.4% of patients who use it. Now, if we didn't have a corrupted federal judiciary, this case would almost certainly be tossed out just before it was even heard, as the two groups of challengers uh, have no actual legal standing to challenge the FDA's approval of the drug, not to mention the five-year statute of limitations to uh, challenge its approval. Uh, that has long since passed. But they're kind of ignoring that part and going straight to, well, let's, uh, you know, yeah, I know it's been 20 years. I know the statute of limitations is gone, but... Let's uh, review this decision anyway. 
because that's the kind of judge this guy is. The group uh, challenging the approval of Mifepristone includes some anti-abortion physicians who do not even prescribe the medication, so can't really claim that they are somehow injured by its availability, which should mean they have no standing, no legal standing to bring this case. Our long-toiling bradblog.com legal analyst Ernie Canning wrote a really helpful and easy-to-understand explainer on all of this uh, last month, including uh, two other cases that are pending in which plaintiffs are challenging the attempts by states like West Virginia and North Carolina to actually ban the drug, cases in which those challengers... Uh, one of the companies who manufactures Mifepristone in one case and a doctor who actually prescribes the drug in her practice uh, in the other case, they actually have a legal standing to claim that they would be injured by a ban, by a ban on the drug. We uh, published Ernie's piece last month at bradblog.com. I'll try to remember to link to it tonight when I post today's show uh, since I found it uh, very useful. But uh, back to uh, Biskupic here at CNN, who notes, uh, as the challengers made their case against the FDA in written filings, they cited the Dobbs decision by the U.S. Supreme Court uh, and the lifting of constitutional protections. But as Kavanaugh, who cast a critical vote in that opinion, stressed, states would still have the authority to keep abortion legal within their boundaries. To be clear, Kavanaugh wrote in his concurring opinion, the court's decision today does not outlaw abortion throughout the United States. On the contrary, the court's decision properly leaves the question of abortion for the people and their elected representatives in the democratic process. Through that democratic process, he wrote, the people and their representatives may decide to allow or limit abortion. Yeah, well, funny thing, it is not the people or their elected representatives in the states who are now making this decision. It is one single Trump-appointed federal judge who appears to have uh, decided that he has the sole power as a judge to overrule the science and the medical experts at the FDA to ban the use of this safe and effective means of abortion across the entire, entire country right now. Not just in Amarillo, not just in Texas, but the entire country. Uh, Kavanaugh, in his concurrence just last year, wrote that their decision, the Dobbs decision, does not prevent the numerous states that readily allow abortion from continuing to readily allow abortion. Well, as it turns out, it might. The legality of the procedure in those states could mean little uh, without access to needed medication. Of course, the dispute heard in this four-hour hearing in Kesmarek's corrupted Amarillo courtroom on Wednesday would be a surprise to no one if the corrupted activist right-wing justices on the Supreme Court had actually paid attention to the opinion written by the court's three liberals at the time in opposition to taking away constitutional freedoms. When the uh, court repealed federal abortion rights last June, claiming the decision would take the federal court out of such matters, return it to the elected representatives. Well, uh, Justices Sonia Sotomayor and Elena Kagan and now retired Stephen Breyer, they disagreed and they invoked 
the possible threats to medication abortion in their dissenting opinion. They warned about exactly this. But Alito and Kavanaugh's opinions completely ignored them and said the otherwise. Any lingering right to abortion, Kavanaugh wrote in in phrasing repeated throughout his opinion, quote, will be decided as the Constitution dictates by the people and their elected representatives through the constitutional processes of self uh, of of democratic self-government. Well, then I'm not sure, uh, you know, how Kazmarek could possibly end up ruling on this case. It would seem to be. Uh, completely in violation of what the U.S. Supreme Court was were claiming, the majority on the court were claiming when they overturned Roe v. Wade. So we should have nothing to worry about because I'm sure <laughs> the Supreme Court will immediately overturn anything that Kazmarek might do here, any federal judge, to interfere with the democratic process of elected representatives deciding those matters, right? So, yes, uh, stay tuned. But it is all of a piece with Republicans saying one thing and then doing another. I know. Shocking. Claiming that they stand for they're fighting for freedom while they're banning books in violation of the First Amendment and constitutional reproductive freedoms. As our friend Ron DeSantis down in Florida, he's doing, uh, he now says he supports a six-week ban on abortion as being proposed in his state legislature, even while he claims that Florida is the freedom state where woke goes to die. His freedom crusade, as you know, now also includes the Government interfering in free speech when it comes to what may or may not be said in a classroom, in what books may be on the shelf in a library, and what may be performed in a theater even at Christmas time. And no, this is no longer just political posturing and idle threats. As Business Insider reports this week, the DeSantis administration is revoking the Hyatt Regency's uh, Hyatt Regency Miami's alcohol license after one of its facilities hosted a drag queen Christmas with minors present in the audience. Oh, no. You mean this? We're back. A drag queen Christmas. Hosted by Nina West and Trinity the Tuck. We're coming to your city. 36 cities from coast to coast, plus very special guest, Todrick Hall. Get tickets now at dragfans.com. Wow. The horror. That was really scary. I should have issued a, a trigger warning <laughs> or something before I played that in case there was anyone younger than 18 listening. But no, for real, the Florida State Department of Business and Professional Regulation has filed a complaint this week against the show's venue, despite the show requiring people under 18 to be accompanied by an adult as a condition of being allowed to attend. A Drag Queen Christmas is a holiday-themed drag show. It tours 36 different cities, features stars from the VH1 and MTV reality show RuPaul's Drag Race. The state accused the Miami Hyatt Regency venue of several violations, including a prohibition of, quote, lascivious exhibition, unquote, before people younger than 16. The department said performers were, quote, 
wearing sexually suggestive clothing and prosthetic female genitalia. Oh, my. Republican Governor Ron DeSantis, who is widely considered to be mounting a presidential campaign in 2024, supported the license revocation, taking away their liquor license, the state. Quote, sexually explicit content is not appropriate to display to children and doing so violates Florida law, said DeSantis's press secretary to the insider. Quote, Governor DeSantis stands up for the innocence of children in the classroom and throughout Florida. He didn't mention anything about either freedom or parental rights, which Republicans pretend to care about as well when useful. Equality Florida, an LGBTQ rights organization, said DeSanta was selectively weaponizing, ding, 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 weaponizing state agencies against businesses to target drag performances, saying such decisions should be left to parents. Brandon Wolf, a spokesman for the company, asked, quote, how far will he take his anti-LGBT crusade in his desperate attempt to outrace his inevitable presidential primary opponents? Will he raid movie theaters because parents take their teenagers to see R-rated movies? How many businesses will DeSantis target? How many families will he force to co-parent with the government in his quest to manufacture right-wing hysteria that he can monetize and weaponize. Uh, his state regulators accused the drag queen Christmas show marketers of putting on a performance that constitutes, quote, public nuisances, lewd activity, and disorderly conduct when minors are present. I guess you can have disorderly conduct as long as minors aren't there. The Hyatt uh, might not be the only facility to lose their license. Uh, last uh, July, the DeSantis administration filed a complaint against a Miami bar that hosted a drag show. It filed a similar complaint, as we reported last month, against those lascivious public nuisances at the Orlando Philharmonic, which also hosted a performance of Drag Queen Christmas. Kate Ruan, who uh, directs the U.S. free expression programs at PEN America, a free speech uh, advocacy group, said drag shows were protected by the First Amendment, which guarantees the right to free speech, and said that DeSantis's administration, uh, their decision to revoke the license was, quote, deeply concerning. A fundamental tenet of the free of the First Amendment, she said, is that government should not punish people simply because it disapproves of the content of their speech. Yet this decision will harm business simply because it supported speech that the government doesn't like. I can't wait until someone asks Ron DeSantis to define the word freedom, just so we're all on the same page about that. Some uh, maybe happier accountability news is next on the broadcast. Also, our latest Green News report, that's yep. coming up. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hey, this is Brad. Please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is supporting you and the things that you care about. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to counter the powerful corporate media echo chamber. Right now, as much as ever. If you choose to support us, you can do it really easily, safely, and quickly via brandblog.com donate. From Desi Doyen and myself... 
Thank you. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Okay, some uh, Trump accountability news of note today, beginning with this moderately interesting, if not wildly surprising exclusive from CNN that broke an hour or two before airtime today. At least two dozen people from Mar-a-Lago resort staff to members of Donald Trump's inner circle at the Florida state have been subpoenaed to testify to a federal grand jury that's investigating the former president's handling of classified documents. That, according to multiple sources familiar with the investigation, as reported this afternoon by CNN. Again, uh, it's called an exclusive. They put it out over the iPhone. It's not incredibly surprising to me. Of course, the Mar-a-Lago staff and members of Trump's inner circle have been subpoenaed. I don't know. Maybe I'm missing something here. On Thursday, Trump's communication aide, Margot Martin, who worked in the White House and then moved with Trump to Florida, she appeared before the grand jury in Washington, D.C. Special counsel Jack Smith, who is overseeing this investigation, has sought testimony from a range of people close to Trump, from his own attorneys who represent him in the matter, to staffers who work on the grounds at Mar-a-Lago, including a housekeeper, and restaurant servers, according to sources, the staffs are the staffers are of interest to investigators because they saw or what they might have seen or heard while on their daily duties around the estate, including whether they saw boxes or documents in Trump's office suite or elsewhere. Quote, they're casting an extremely wide net. Anyone and everyone who might have seen something said one source familiar with the Justice Department's efforts. Now, it makes sense to me to talk about this because I think it does, for people who follow this very closely, gives you a sense of how far up the food chain the investigation is working so far. For instance, one federal investigators uh, federal investigators have talked to a Mar-a-Lago staff member seen on security camera footage moving boxes from a storage room along with Trump aide Walt Nauta who has already spoken with investigators. Many of the Mar-a-Lago staffers are being represented, according to sources and federal election records, by counsel paid for by Trump entities, which kind of feels like it ought to be illegal to me. Yeah. But apparently it is not. That probe by special counsel Jack Smith, along with the other federal grand jury investigation that he is overseeing related to Trump's attempts to steal the election with an insurrection on January 6th and in several other ways. Well, that will continue to continue, I guess, for a while, uh, even now that dozens, at least at least two dozen people close to Trump and inside Mar-a-Lago have now been uh, called before the special grand jury. Uh, But along with the uh, final stages playing out this week in a New York state criminal grand jury investigation of Trump's hush money payouts to porn star Stormy Daniel before the 2016 election, where criminal charges are believed to be imminent, Uh, which would be the first criminal charges ever filed against a former U.S. president. There is also, along with that, the decision about criminal charges expected, well, imminently, 
uh, as uh, Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis had said in an Atlanta courtroom now well over a month ago in the broad criminal conspiracy to steal Georgia's presidential election in 2020 that Donald Trump tried to carry out. Well, in that case, last night, the Atlanta Journal-Constitution had what I am regarding as a bona fide exclusive here. Uh, one of note, and even one that we might call a bombshell. It's a wildly overused term, so I rarely use it. But maybe we got one here. I don't know. On that matter, uh, and this does seem uh, at least worth mentioning here today. Okay, it's a long story from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. It's got a bunch of fascinating details. I will link to it, to the article in full, when posting today's show at bradblog.com. Yeah, it's got a lot of little tidbits in there but, that are quite juicy, I would yes, say. Yes, indeed. But here are uh, the uh, key bits. In an exclusive interview with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, five of the 23 special grand jurors in that case in Georgia recounted what it was like to be part of one of the most momentous criminal investigations in U.S. history, one which could lead to indictments of former President Donald Trump and his allies. And one that we already know, based on revelations in Fulton County Superior Court uh, in January, we already know that it includes the special purpose grand jury in Fulton County unanimously recommending more than a dozen criminal indictments. But we do not know who or for what those they recommended those indictments. And we don't know if... District Attorney Fonnie Willis will adopt the special grand jury's recommendations at all or not. Or we also don't know if a regular grand jury will actually issue those indictments that a special grand jury can only recommend. So I'm trying to manage expectations here a little yes, bit, clearly. Yes, that's important, yes. Uh, but what these jurors said to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution is certainly worth noting. Uh, at the moment, one juror told uh, the AJC, quote, one of the most important things we'll be a part of in our life was this eight month process that we did, adding it was, quote, incredibly important to get it right. The jurors shared never before heard details about their experiences serving on the panel, which met in private, often three times a week. They described a process that was by turns fascinating, tedious and emotionally wrenching. One juror said that she would cry in her car at the end of the day after hearing from witnesses whose lives had been upended by disinformation and claims of election fraud. For months, they were unable to talk to friends, family members, and co-workers about what they were doing. They said the overall panel was diverse, with different races, economic backgrounds, and political viewpoints represented. Many emerged with heightened respect for election workers, which I find interesting and of note here, uh, and others who uh, kept the state's voting integrity intact. So they were emotionally drained by hearing about uh, election workers and what they had to go through and these people who uh, whose lives were upended by disinformation about fraud. 
The AJC notes the grand jury was dissolved in January after submitting its final report, which remains mostly under seal, as Willis makes her charging decisions. Several jurors said they decided to speak out for the first time in response to criticism that was leveled at the probe after the special grand jury's foreperson, Emily Kors, spoke to multiple media outlets last month. Apparently, they seem to feel that the criticism of her was unfair and suggestions that her comments somehow revealed that the panel was not serious, that that was misguided. But they also divulged details from the investigation that had not yet become public. One was that they heard a recording of a phone call that Trump placed to late Georgia House Speaker David Ralston, in which the then president asked the fellow Republican to convene a special session of the legislature to overturn Joe Biden's victory in Georgia. One juror said that Ralston proved to be an amazing politician. The speaker basically, quote, cut the president off. He said, I'll do everything in my power that I think is appropriate. He just basically took the wind out of the sails, the juror said. And leaving the president, all he could say is, well, thank you, (laughs) Ralston, who died in November and other legislative leaders did not end up calling a special session. We're already familiar with two other phone calls, one between Donald Trump and Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger, in which Trump is asking uh, Raffensperger to just find me enough votes to win this election, basically. Uh, That's what kicked off this whole investigation. And then there's another call that Trump made in December of 2020 to an investigator from the secretary of state's office who was conducting an audit of absentee ballots in Cobb County, which is totally appropriate. Right. Just call the investigator who's overseeing this audit of something you're involved with. Anyway, as I said, lots of details We'll point to it. We'll link to it at at bradblog.com. But here's the part that will likely help you get through the days ahead, however however many there are, until indictments are finally announced by Fonnie Willis, if they are announced. And we still have no idea how long that's going to be. The very end of the article, quote, one juror expressed appreciation for the behind the scenes look that the group received of Georgia politics and the ballot counting process. Another indicated he had grown more jaded after it became clear that some witnesses were telling the grand jury one thing about the election under oath and then casting doubt on the system when they returned to the campaign trail, sometimes just hours later. Many described an increased regard for the election system and the people who run it. Said another juror, quote, I tell my wife, if every person in America knew every single word of information we knew, this country would not be divided as it is right now. Well, that's interesting. And then, and here you go, here's the most explosive uh, comment here that AJC kept until the very end of their piece. The grand jurors said they understand why the public release of their final full report needs to wait until Willis makes indictment decisions. Quote, a lot's going to come out sooner or later, one of the jurors said, and it's going to be massive. It's going to be massive, the juror said. A lot is going to come out sooner or later. And it is going to be massive. massive. Hmm. 
So, uh, wow, it's going to be massive. Now, I guess we could have predicted that it's going to be massive. Uh, Certainly, we know that if a president is going to be indicted for the first time ever in this country, it's going to be massive. We know that. Well, yeah, if you're going to do that, then it does help to have quite a lot of uh, material to support the reason why you're doing that. Well, and hearing it from a juror, a juror who has sat through eight months of this stuff, and hearing it from the juror themselves that, boy, wait till you guys learn what we learned. It's going to be massive, massive. And they repeated it twice. Yeah. Uh, so, hey, it's going to be massive, whatever happens in Georgia. I guess if it happens, and I guess when they say when, you know, they, they know a lot, uh, it's going to come out sooner or later. It's going to be massive. Maybe they're not even saying it's going to come out through indictments Mm. because no matter what Fonnie Willis ends up doing, as I understand it, the grand special grand jury's report will be made public. The Fulton County Superior Court judge uh, who was deciding how much of this should be released now uh, has said that it will all be released at some point. Fonnie Willis said it can all be released at some point. So it doesn't again, I'm managing expectations yes. here, yours, maybe mine as well, but uh, it does not necessarily mean there will be indictments, just that the information that comes out will be massive. That said, if the information is so massive, um, it's hard to believe that it wouldn't end up in indictments. It is, and if it doesn't end and up in massive dem- dem- ones, at yeah, that. if it doesn't end up in indictments, yeah. and there's this massive release of this report with all of this evidence, I think that will also have a lot of controversy. If there isn't indictments, does that make sense? It does. I guess either way, <laughs> it's going to be massive. <laughs> there you go. Green News Report is straight ahead on the broadcast. I'm Brad Friedman. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. By the way, if you have an opinion about what that special grand juror means by it's going to be massive, it's going to be massive, <laughs> I would love to hear it from you. My email address, I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Maybe we'll uh, read your best guesses on the air. Try to keep them short and sweet. Maybe we'll share them uh, on the show in the coming days. Yeah. All right. Uh, I guess let's get to it. Our latest Green News Report. Folks, this is a tremendous step forward in the right direction. Biden administration moves to lower levels of forever chemicals in drinking water. This lawsuit is designed to make sure that Norfolk and Southern keeps their word to the people of East Palestine and the people of Ohio. Ohio sues over chemical train derailment. Plus, one state generates much more renewable energy than any other. It's California. It's California, right? It is not California. It's not California? All of those stories and more straight ahead from Bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. If we don't keep the temperature from going above 1.5 degrees Celsius raised... 
then we're in real trouble. That whole generation is damned. Damn. I got nothing snarky to add. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, welcome to Generation Damned. What do you have for us today? <laughs> well, first up, February 2023 was the planet's fourth hottest February on record since global record keeping began in 1850. That's according to both NASA and NOAA. Rising global temperatures do have cascading consequences. In southeastern Africa, unrelenting tropical cyclone Freddie, the longest lasting tropical cyclone on record at nearly 40 days, has now killed more than 200 people across Malawi, Mozambique, and Madagascar, with hundreds more injured and scores still missing. Freddie has accumulated more energy over its journey across the Indian Ocean than an entire U.S. Atlantic hurricane season. And it's still spinning at this point? It does appear to be on its way out. A new United Nations report warns that climate change has had a devastating impact on Africa's economies. African countries now spend nearly 10 percent of their budgets on response to extreme weather disasters, and that is expected to worsen in coming years. Unusually warm waters in the Atlantic Ocean have created the largest annual bloom of sargassum seaweed ever observed. That sounds nice. Is it? No, it is not. It's 5,000 miles long and 300 miles wide. It can be seen from space. It's already hitting beaches in the Florida Keys and along the Gulf of Mexico. The thick seaweed wreaks havoc close to shore, blocking light from reaching corals and impacting air and water quality as it decomposes. But Florida's Gulf Coast is already grappling with a toxic red tide algae bloom that has caused dead fish to wash ashore in droves and forced the cancellation of events due to the risk of respiratory irritation for humans amid the busy spring break tourism season. Florida sounds great. In the East Palestine, Ohio train derailment disaster, Ohio Republican Attorney General Dave Yost has filed a lawsuit against railroad company Norfolk Southern to ensure it pays for the cleanup and environmental damages. The suit seeks damages and civil penalties, alleging multiple violations of state and federal law in last month's train derailment that released toxic chemicals over the town. Among the things we note in the complaint are Norfolk and Southern's uh, escalating accident rate. It's up 80% over 10 years. At least 20 Norfolk and Southern derailments since 2015 have included chemical spills. Gosh, it's a shame the last Republican president did away with all those railroad regulations, isn't it? But some good news. Biden administration EPA administrator Michael Regan was in North Carolina this week proposing the first ever standards to limit notorious forever chemicals in drinking water. Known as PFAS for short, the synthetic chemicals are used in numerous industrial and consumer applications and are ubiquitous in water systems. PFAS chemicals linger in the environment and the human body and lead to serious health problems. Environmental groups welcomed the action, saying, the standards will help reduce harm to people. But Dana Sargent of North Carolina's Cape Fear River Watch explained to a local news station that further action is necessary to address the source of PFAS pollution. This type of regulation does not hold polluters accountable. Um, It does put the burden on the community and the utilities to pay for upgrades. But these are the starts that need to happen. So this is an absolutely crucial step in this 
colossal fight. Finally, one state generates much, much more renewable energy than any other, and it's not California. What? Inside Climate News reports on new data on the nation's electricity mix that shows one state is really the nation's clean energy leader. According to the Federal Energy Information Administration, Texas has produced more electricity from renewable sources than any other state for several years running, Hmm. thanks largely to its massive wind energy projects. But Texas is also quickly closing the gap with solar energy leader California on construction and deployment of utility-scale solar power. Texas. Texas. Who knew? For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Blow, blow, U.S. Texas wind. Turbos, turbines, dependable friend. Power the future for the next generation's crying. Ooh. There you go. That's a great song. It is. That is Babes in Wonderland, in case you're wondering. <laughs> yeah. And it's all about renewable energy and, in West Texas. And it's Texas. Cool. I know. If nothing else, I finally get to say something nice about Texas. I know. And that's so unusual for you. <sighs> well, it, you know, it's uh, so unusual that there's a good story about it. There's a good news story out of Texas. If you just came up with more of them, it's your home state. This Don't blame true. me. That... I wish I could. If there were, I would. Don't be so mean to Texas, Des. <laughs> I can be mean because I'm from there. I see how that works. Okay, we got to get out. My thanks, of course, to Desi Doyen, our producer, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email, as noted, if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. If you use the subject line massive, you can uh, let me know what is going to be massive about what happens in Georgia. We will uh, keep your uh, predictions on record. You can also find me on the social medias on Twitter, Facebook, and Mastodon at The Brad Blog. We will see you there until we see you here next time. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Way out west in Texas, the fossil fuels are running out, but there ain't no need to fuss or shout. I reckon we can all agree on one thing, renewable energy can swing.